Let us let us get into Captain Marvel thirty three. Alright, pause for station identification. On the on the Al Sedano Podcast Network. Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and welcome back, Brian. Hello. Hey, Brian, what's up? Not much. Glad to be back. I figured it had been, what, like a few months, so it was time for me to put in a vocal appearance again. Yeah, let's finish off this Thanos war thing. Yeah, that I did, You know, I only just found out that that's the name of the story arc this morning. <laughs> like because i don't think of i don't think of these old i mean except for like really famous ones like the avengers Cree, like no uh, the Cree scroll war or avengers or, defenders war or the avengers defender war or the one other i can think of is panther's rage but aside from those like really really famous ones i don't think of these old bronze age storylines having overall titles they're just oh yeah that run of things back then that happened and all connected well they kind of they're retroactive given like uh death of Fe- like the dark phoenix saga it was okay. called the dark phoenix saga when you bought the issues but they kind of went back and went oh well these are all the ones where it really starts happening so 129 to 137 is the dark phoenix saga okay no that's that's fair so um aside from what we've been reading in captain marvel just for my own and uh, i assume the listeners uh, edification uh what issues uh what besides the captain marvel stuff we've been reading is involved in thanos war well the official thing for thanos war as far as i remember was uh the captain marvel by starlin mm-hmm. which we've done three issues of daredevil well it depends on your perspective mm-hmm. technically it's just three issues of daredevil 105 106 107 which we did mm-hmm. cover on the show already yeah yeah the ones with angar the screamer and uh the other bunch yeah. Now depends, and Moon Dragon. Yeah. Now it depends how you cut, you view it. Officially, it's just those three because those are the three with Moon Dragon. Right. But those characters, Angar the Screamer and Ramrod and Dark Messiah, have been bothering Daredevil for like since like issue ninety nine or a hundred, and it's revealed in those three issues that Moon Dragon, because she thought Daredevil was associated with Thanos for some insane illogical reason, it really made no sense. She I remember, was, I remember yeah. being frustrated by that. Yeah, it made no sense. My favorite part was, I came here to Earth, and since I saw that the people who were fighting Thanos were on one side, I went to the other to help. I'm like, yeah. ah, you Wait, ran what? away. Yeah. <laughs> you were hiding. That's why. That's the only thing that makes sense is that she's lying. She's like, <laughs> I got scared and I left, and I made people to cause problems because as soon as somebody in the costume came by, I assumed you were. I just got panic stricken. I was like, you're all part of it. Yeah, no, I I believe she's lying. Remember, this is this is just past her Madame McEvil period, so, but yeah, we, so we we have to, we have to we have to forgive her perhaps a little bit of uh, of recovery time. Yeah, but since uh, she was partially behind those characters, 
technically, depending how if, how you look it up, some people count like Daredevil ninety nine or a hundred up to one hundred seven, all part of the Thanos War. Okay. We just covered the three. We actually had Moon Dragon and, and appearances of Thanos in it, which is the three we did, and of course Avengers one twenty five. Okay. Which we also covered on the show a few episodes ago. All right. And now, and now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Yeah. In Avengers 125, when we go through the uh, synopsis of this issue, that basically is just all about the space battle that Thanos references on, like, one page. Okay. And uh, I, I did take a look into that, and I do have uh, a question, but I will wait until we get to the appropriate point in the discussion to ask it. Okay, so let's put the synopsis in here and where you can find this issue reprinted, and which is a lot of places. <laughs> Shocking. Including in Italy. It's a famous one. Yeah, in Italy, you can get Italian and German versions. And then we'll come back for our coverage of this issue. Stay tuned. And we'll probably put a promo in there as well. What the hell? Captain Marvel 33. The God Himself. Plot by Jim Starlin, script by Steve Englehart, pencil by Jim Starlin, inked by Klaus Janssen, color by Jim Starlin, letter by Tom Orszewski, edited by Roy Thomas, with a cover by Jim Starlin. Cover dated July 1974, original sale date April 16th, 1974, and a cover price of 25 cents. We began with an intergalactic clash between men who shape worlds. A desperate and determined Captain Marvel versus an all-powerful neo-deity named Thanos. And we go up from there. That narration begins the final issue in the Thanos War, with Captain Marvel and Thanos facing off on a rooftop that, as you will hear later, may or may not actually happen. After that, we get a great three pages of recap where Starlin and Englehart really tie in all the different parts of the Thanos War into one cohesive order. With that out of the way, the real action begins. Captain Marvel takes on Thanos in Avengers Mansion and is completely beaten. With Marvel down, Thanos leaves to deal with other issues, and Isaac shows up to verbally rub Cap's face in it. We learn that the reason Thanos had a space fleet, because if he's a god, why does he need a spaceship, was to make Earth's heroes leave the planet to fight them. While they were away, he shifted the entire Earth just a moment ahead of normal in the space-time continuum, preventing them from being able to interact with anyone who was still left on the planet. Mantis is able to use her abilities to somewhat communicate with Marvell to let him know that he is on his own. Or is he? For as he is about to face Thanos again, Drax the Destroyer shows up. The two of them take on Thanos, who at this point is just a giant floating outline of a head in the sky, who causes skyscrapers to fly out of the ground and chase our heroes. Drax keeps Thanos' attention while Captain Marvel confers with Mantis and Isaac. They realize that gods need to be worshipped for power, but no one is worshipping Thanos. So where's his power coming from? They figure out he must still be drawing power from the Cosmic Cube, but that brings him Thanos' undivided attention. He blasts Marvell, distorting reality around him, and even ages him up into death. But not before Marvell is able to destroy the cube, seemingly destroying Thanos and causing Mistress Death to either laugh hysterically or do the Macarena. In the end, the universe is put back the way it was before Thanos tried it on, as Captain Marvel and the others process exactly what happened that night. Now, if you're not able to get the original copy of this issue, there are a lot of reprints you can get. We start with The Life of Captain Marvel, number 5, The Life of Captain Marvel, trade paperback, Playbook, number 11, which is an Italian reprint, The Life and Death of Captain Marvel, trade paperback, 
Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel Volume 3, Essential Avengers Volume 6, Essential Captain Marvel Volume 2, Avengers vs. Thanos Trade Paperback, Marvel Masterworks The Avengers Volume 13, uh, and here's that stupid German one that always trips me up, Die Official Marvel Comic Samlung Hardcover Volume 25, Guardians of the Galaxy Solo Classic Omnibus Hardcover, Drax Guardian of the Galaxy Trade Paperback, Captain Marvel by Jim Starlin Trade Paperback, and digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. It's time for some thrilling heroics, a brand new podcast on 2TrueFreaks.com. Keep flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible, cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western, and that makes us mighty. We found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job. They said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side. Not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Shepherd Bill Robinson. So join us on 2TrueFreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave. Okay, we're back. Supposedly. Hi. Yes. That was a great synopsis, and that was my favorite promo I've played today. <laughs> it certainly was a promo that you have played today. That's true. So, we're looking at Captain Marvel number 33. Yes, and we got the cover here with Marvel vs. Thanos. And, okay, I gotta start right in. I, okay. I, I have to. Two things, well, well, actually both part of the same thing, that draw my eye immediately about this cover and one is the weird anatomy is it just me or is the anatomy on this cover kind of not entirely working whose well okay uh, we got a little bit on both okay before i launch into my specific issues with the anat with 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 the anatomical layout that i'm looking at and i will try to keep that brief i just need to do a quick shout out Every time Starlin does big muscular brutes, and I think I've mentioned this on the show before, he really goes overboard with those ruffly little side muscles yes. on the muscle men. I had to look them up, and I, I actually did, and I finally learned where those are coming from on him. On, in human anatomy, those are called the serratus anterior muscles. And from all of the references uh, I found online – most human males only have three or four of them. So I'm going to attribute the dozens of serratus anterior <laughs> muscles depicted on this cover to the fact that both Thanos and Marvel are aliens. And I'll just chalk it up to that. But um, Is that also probably why Marvel has what looks like an eight-pack instead of a six-pack stomach? That too. It's just there. there, there is some real... Like, there ain't no kill like overkill, I guess, is kind of the, the guiding principle here. But wowzers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, Thanos is I can forgive everything on Thanos on the cover. Because here's the thing. Look at the, how Thanos looks in the coloring. Mm -hmm. This is not normal Thanos. This is God Thanos become, taking a human form. 
He can look however the hell he wants. If he wants to have, you know, bizarre arms or legs or extra muscles on the side, he does. Still, I do have to call out Thanos' right arm is cocked back in a way that's just not scanning for me at all. It's just, it looks twisted and it looks, it literally looks like when you were a kid and you used to take apart your action figures and then stick the, 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 the limbs back into the torso, but not quite the way you found it. So it looks all sort of weird and twisted and effed up. That's kind of what Thanos' right arm, it's all like sort of weird and straight back and it's just not scanning as a, as a punch oh, it to me. It definitely isn't, because I'm trying to do the position he's doing right now. I mean, I can kind of see what he's going for, but it Do not hurt yourself. That does not... I, I cannot recommend that for your own for your own muscular safety. I just can't. I'll say one thing. It does not work for a uh, combat. Okay. And admittedly, as a poor human, you only have three or four anterior... Uh, serratus anterior muscles. Exactly. So that could be what's, that could be what's hindering you. It, maybe it's just because he drew it the other way, and they were like, uh, it's... There's no room in the cover, yeah. and so they just they just used a razor blade to like cut it and reinsert it in a different way. Almost actually, if you, you turn it good, down, it looks like it would be you the make right a good, way. Yeah, no, you make a good point. It, it might be for framing issues that it is that it is set up so so oddly. And the other my uh, my other issue here, and anatomically on the cover, is the spot where he's gripping Marvel's head. It doesn't, I mean, it looks like there's, it's not physically working right. Like, there should be more of Marvell, like his neck and his torso in front of the arm if he was, it's just something about it is not working for me, like physical layout wise. Now, perhaps there's some sort of godly phasing or something meant to go on here, but I think that might be a, a little bit of reading into after the fact. It's just a strange thing that my eyes are, are definitely drawn to and not in a good way. No, I see what you're saying. Now, the one thing I do like is the fact that he's actually he actually put that little detail and look at the look where Thanos is standing. Yeah. The, the, I, I noticed that too. The fact that the ledge is all cracked and crumbling. Yeah. It's like when the tick runs across the rooftops. Yeah. The, the fact that whatever is going on here is destructive to its surroundings. That is a nice detail. I agree. I, and I also appreciate, uh, we, I think we've spoken before you and I about the strong influence of Kirby on Starlin's artistic style and the fact that this cover is just rife with Kirby crackle everywhere oh, God, yeah. it's a delightful thing yeah you I did definitely on that. see that and as, as we've spoken about many uh, we, we have often had fun at the expense of the details of Starlin's Captain Marvel covers in prior episodes the fact remains that like those other covers we always had to con- conclude at the end of our uh, nitpicking of the covers, we always had to conclude that they were good covers ultimately because they just exuded this sense of boundless energy and power and, and momentous consequence. And I would think that especially given that this is the blow off issue of a long, uh, dramatic epic storyline, I think this covers no different. Yeah. I mean, this still would work, especially if you're thinking about like, if it's on the newsstand, it might be the bottom half might be covered, so all you might see is just, like, Thanos gripping Marvel's head up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially if I've been reading it, I'd be like, oh, hell yeah, get me this. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm I'm down. I'm down ultimately, but I just have to got to call a strange cover a strange cover, you know, when it's when they're like little weird things like that. But anyway, no, but moving right along. You're not wrong. I mean, you saw, if that arm looks like if it just swiveled the other way, it would be cocked as a punch, ready, fist ready to punch him. Yeah, and but it's just I, twisted up. For all I know, I'm I'm speaking. For all I know, my guess is absolutely true. And they did like look at it, say it doesn't fit in the frame. And, and back during at the pencil art or inking art phase, they just took a razor blade and just rearranged the the whole piece of Bristol board. Yeah. So for all we know, but anyway. So um, now onto the actual issue. Onto the actual issue, and on the splash page, this is the point at which my question about Avengers 125. Okay. Uh, becomes relevant because as we look at Thanos and Marvel squaring off here, um, they've moved to the roof. Now, as I recall, um, the end of Captain Marvel number thirty-two, the big cliffhanger final panel when Marvel, uh, when Thanos physically manifested himself uh, in front of Rick Jones, uh, they were in a study. I'm guessing maybe an Avengers mansion or something like that, but they were in a study in that panel. But now they've moved to the roof. Now, um, that I was wondering that, but now I'm re-looking and I'm not sure. Because here's the thing. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're on the roof facing off. Mm-hmm. We're going to jump ahead a little bit and we'll jump back. Then we have the little recap. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you see them. And they're in, there's fire going on all around them, and it looks like when they're fighting again, and it looks like a ceiling collapsing on them even. No, absolutely, and when we got there, I was going to point that out, which is why, so maybe this square off thing is not quite the next moment in the sequence, I I, suppose. I'm guessing that that actually is supposed to take, is what's taking place near the end of the issue when they actually are facing off on the roof. Okay, no, that's that's fair, and that brings me up to my to my quick point about Avengers one twenty five. At the end of Avengers one twenty five, the Avengers return to Earth, and they are being uh, spied upon basically by a uh, hidden uh, skulky kind of uh, Thanos. And I was trying to figure out where in the uh, sequence of events that took place, and I suppose you could wave it off. Uh, by just saying, well, Thanos is a god. Thanos is the universe, so he can be everywhere at once, and that's all that's going on there. But I would just have to acknowledge that if I did that, that would indeed be hand-waving. Yeah, no, I think of what it shows here is, uh, from what I can read it here, is that that takes place later on at the end battle, which is on the roof. Okay, that, that okay. First, that first scene. And then you have the recap. Then you jump to where they left off, where they're fighting in the study. Marvel's knocked out. Thanos then goes up to the roof where the Avengers land. Mm-hmm. But because of his machinations, they don't see him and they don't see Marvel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the rest, of, go through the rest of the issue with Drax showing up, and then right about the point where you get to the, uh, and I guess that's I actually I mean the the, the first page doesn't actually happen mm-hmm. because Thanos when he gets to that final battle with Thanos on the roof, it's Thanos as the Godhead, like the the floaty Godhead. Exactly. That's exactly. more. I think it's more of the symbolic secondary cover. Mm-hmm. It's very much, I mean, and you look at the heads glaring at each other uh, on the sides of the splash page, and it's almost very much like a, like, like a wrestling promo. Like, you know, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Captain Intergalactic Marvel. warrior Captain Marvel versus Neo-Deity Thanos. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! 
do how much uh, do we have to go through the, the the they give a full three pages to recapping previously on Thanos War. No, I mean, because we covered that all. I will say one thing, Brie. I mean, unless there's nothing that sticks out in your head, there's one or two things, but nothing big. I've, yeah, I have two things, admittedly. Okay, the first thing I was thinking about is, considering it was kind of a sprawling thing and the way he brought things in here and there, mm-hmm. I did like how they kind of, for the most part, put everything in order for you now. So even if you had read everything, you were like, oh, okay, that's how it all fit. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And in a way, it actually it doesn't quite retcon i mean it's very elegant i mean it's cram it's it's cram packed full this is three pages of dense 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 recap yeah they uh, they just don't do the origin of the inhuman of the eternals here which mm-hmm. they did before or moon dragon right but um i'm going to i'm going to give credit to uh uh Engelhart, who is this the issue where Engelhart is taking over the scripting yeah or did he take over last issue i'm pretty sure it was this one this one, so I'll give I'll give him credit because uh, the way this is all put together, just verbally, it's very elegant. And it actually, weirdly, I don't remember some of these things being explicitly depicted the first time around. It looks like he's sort of not so much retconning, so much as filling in. Uh, blanks that they sort of see after the fact, like as they go back and try and say, okay, what happened before? And he realizes, wait a minute, this part wasn't made too, too clear. Like as a, for instance, on the first of the three recap pages at the bottom, he talks about how Thanos repopulated Titan with an army of alien outcasts is the first step. And the fact that he didn't just hire them and put them in ships to, to go out and work his will, but he actually repopulated Titan with them um, made a certain amount of sense given how like isolated Titan seemed when Iron Man and Eros were, were, were originally uh, helping Marvel out on Titan. It looked kind of deserted and you kind of wondered like, why is Thanos even bothering with this? So it looks like some pains have been taken to sort of try and make previously not completely well thought through story points from earlier issues now to sort of tie them together a little more tightly and make them make sense. Yeah. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, because they also more confirm what happened with Thanos, that he was exiled and he destroyed most of the population. Right, right. right. They, they mentioned Suisun, his mother, for the first time, I believe. Yeah. And they also established that Titan's out a whole world where, like, there's people all over. It says in here, the twin population centers, implying that there's really only two cities on the planet. Yeah. And so you have to think to yourself, you know, that that Starlin, bless Starlin for ambition, but you have to think to yourself that this was uh, Englehart coming in and saying, okay, Jimmy, I like this, but you missed this point and this point and this point. And so he's like, I have to credit Englehart with sort of... Who, who at this point is well, like, got to be not just a vet, not just a veteran writer at this point. I mean, he hasn't been at it for years and years and years, but he's been he's he's got quite a few Marvel issues under his belt, but also um, a lot of momentum. Given how much he's been writing, he's his juices have just got to be going twenty four seven. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Although I will, to be fair, Starlin does still have plot. So and no, pencils. absolutely. So I mean, he might have put all this. He might. I mean, he, at least everything was drawn already. I do like how the fact that we show, we see that Thanos' crime was building a weapon, and he gets banished, and he apparently already has missiles. I guess <laughs> he didn't let his dad know he had built a gun until he's like, I already made missiles, too. Yeah, but you, you have it needs to be, um, it needs to be pointed out that uh, Jim Starlin has recently, um, just this week as a matter of fact, 
uh, as we are recording this. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when this will go up. But this week has, has released a novel. Really? He actually wrote a novel. It is a space opera novel called Hardcore Mind Games, and it is uh, being billed on Amazon. I believe he published it through Amazon, if, if you can believe that. Yet another uh, self-published Amazon author. Uh, just, But uh, it, he's billing it on Amazon as Hardcore Station Book Zero. Okay, and I remember when he did that book. Oh, you do? Yeah, it was a DC. It was I, I, it was DC, but I don't remember if it was. In, I think it was in DC, but I think it was kind of. I think it was kind of like Sovereign Seven when Claremont was doing it. It was okay. in DC, but it was still creator owned. Okay, okay. Well, he, anyway, this week uh, on October third, twenty seventeen, Amazon published a a novel, like a prose novel, of hardcore mind games. Huh. I have to check that like, out. Written by written by Starlin. So the point being is that so Starlin Starlin still um, he still has the, the the gigantic ginormous epic imagination. But I'm just saying I'm thinking Engelhart helped him corral that giant imagination into something a little more coherent. I guess narrative wise. Well, even if Starlin had the idea of what put the stuff because he did the plot in pencils, yeah. Engelhart definitely was like oh probably was able to like put it in an order and put it in a way that made sense, write it in a way that you know, made sense. And and fill in some verbal blanks. And speaking of that, real quick, Starlin definitely cut down on this issue. Because he's not, I mean, he he wasn't always doing the scripting. It was, I know of, um, oh God, all of a sudden I forgot his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike. Oh, Friedrich. I keep wanting to say Fleischer for some reason all of a yeah, sudden. No, I'm no, like, no, that's no. not his name. Thank you. Mike Friedrich. Friedrich was doing a lot of the scripting for him sometimes, but he's also not mm-hmm. doing the inking. Klaus Jansen, you know, Daredevil guy yeah. with Miller, yeah. is doing the inking. Only he's not yet Klaus Jansen. Like, I, I'm familiar with Jansen's inking style from the Frank Miller Daredevil and from Dark Knight Returns and all that sort of stuff. This is not yet Jansen. Oh, of like, course. This is, the, this is a decade this before. Is, this, is, this is proto-Jansen. But still, it's... <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Name. You're right. Wait, real quick. Did he do year one, too? Was he the inker for that? Um, for Batman Year I One? Don't, uh, no, no. As far as I know, as far as I know, um, Year One was Mazzuchelli pencil and inks. Okay. I believe I, I. I think Mazzuchelli was one of those self-contained artists. I don't think he, if he ever got inked by someone else, I don't think it was very frequently, as I, as I recall. But I can I could be mistaken. Actually, but anyway. Yeah. So anyway, so back to the uh, actual issue itself. Back to the actual issue. Another uh, another thing that uh, I'm again I'm guessing Engelhart fills in here is that Eon. They point out explicitly that he is another creation of Kronos. Yes. We never. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but we were never really told where Eon came from before. He was just kind of there. Yeah, I don't remember if we did or didn't. I know he was involved with Kronos. He had the plan with Kronos, but I don't know if he was... I forget if they said that before or not. But either way, they, like we said, everything is explicitly said right here. So just in case you forgot. Right, exactly. Right. It's all there. Now, I have to check I, later on. I don't know if that was retconned or not, because Eon is supposed to be one of the cosmic beings. Right, So right, I don't right. know if he was created by Kronos. But then it, well, he, he still could be. Kronos is, Kronos is a mighty creator-type and cosmic force himself. Yeah, and Kronos is a cosmic being too, so he could be one. So I could, be, but I'm not sure which. Now, the one other thing I wish to point out from the recap pages before we move on to the remaining 14 pages of issue proper is page 
four, the, the last page of the recap, the top two thirds of the page is what had to have been in 1974 when this was printed and published had to have been the most elaborate and detailed panel of comic art for a recap. ever attempted, ever attempted. I mean, I'm just looking at, at so many, the, the details of the energy crackle around Rick Jones in Isaac's hand, Isaac's design himself, the Starfield inside Isaac's robe, uh, with all of the figures superimposed over it, and a uh, bright glowing Thanos universe god head thing, and then yet more Thanos fighting Rick down at the bottom with filigrees and explosions and pow bam blasts of energy and all of this stuff. There's so much stuff going on here. Now I'm looking at it in the uh, remastered high def Marvel unlimited uh, version, Same here. which is all clean and crisp and clear and gorgeous and perfectly parsable to my eye and remembering what printed comics pages looked like in the early to mid bronze age. I have to wonder how I have to find a, a, a scan or something of this page from the original. Um, to see how it looks. Uh, just to see how did this look and scan back in the day, because this is kind of, this is a ridiculous amount of, stuff going on in one panel for this time in comics and history. And stuff, I've looked at this issue a couple of times over time, and there's still things I'm like, I just caught death in the lower corner. Oh, yes, I did, and I hadn't. Right, yeah, I hadn't. right behind the cosmic cube and Thanos' foot. I was like, oh, wait, there's death. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. Holy moly. Uh, I love this page. I mean, Stalin does stuff like that, though. He knows how to do stuff like that. I mean, he does these awesome Oh, no, absolutely. Intricate, absolutely. I mean, his recap pages are some of the most fun recap pages because he tries to do something, usually he tries to do something different. Like that one we did where uh, somebody else was telling the story and looked like Thanos was the DJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, yes, I do remember that well. DJ Mad so. Titan coming to you from. <laughs> yeah, so, tonight on tonight's Bill Steve Aoki and DJ Thanos. What? <laughs> Anyway, and it's perfect because the recap goes right and that whole recap thing ends with that panel of the Thanos versus Rick. And then it goes right into the next panel, which is where it continues on with Rick Jones about to uh, clang the bands. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm actually I found I found a scan of this uh, page. Wow. Um, the power the power of the Internet. I found a scan of this page from its original printing. And it actually to be to be perfectly honest, it scans a lot better than I Thought it would. I mean, the colors are not quite as rich and vibrant, but at least in the in the, in the page I'm looking at, the scan of I'm looking at, it actually still looks like I would have been able to make perfect sense of this insane jumble of stuff, uh, even if I was looking at the original printed page. So it actually scans a little better than the next page. Can you send me a Which link? Which we to will that? get to. What'd you say? Can you send me a link I, to that later? So I, I absolutely I absolutely will. Awesome. 
Speaking of the next page. Yes. Which is what's going on here. And I do kind of love that very conversational sort of segue. And that's what's going on here. You wanted to know what's going on here? That's what's going on here. I love that. What you said about the cover, very Kirby influence. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that part right here with the writing is very much, you know, early Marvel Stan Lee influence, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, we're not the editor talking to whoever, you know, just mentioning something. This is Stan talking right to you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was very uh, groundbreaking at the time, and you're right. That was still. I mean, at this point, it's funny because even we, we you and I have spoken uh, before of the strangeness that Marvel was feeling the liberties to indulge in at this point with its young and and let's face it, kind of experimental, shall we say, chemically experimental creators, especially in light of social trends and what was going on in the wider world in the early 70s. So for all though that Marvel in the early 70s was undertaking that sort of mission expansion, they still were very uh, attached to the mighty Marvel style. Like Marvel's personality as a company was still very much what it had been back in the heyday of Kirby Lee, Fantastic Four, and Thor in the mid-60s. You know what I'm saying? Well, of course. Well, it makes sense because this is now, because of the way Marvel worked as opposed to DC, where they didn't have this whole rotating group of writers because they weren't the size. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, you, know they, you had Stan and Roy, for the most part, writing 95% of every, you know, maybe Larry Lieber. You know, mm-hmm. doing 95, mm-hmm. 98% of everything up until like the late 60s. And exactly. now everyone who's coming in are all people who were reading that. And mm-hmm. it, you know, obviously it made them want to be part of it. So you got Jim Starlin, you got Engelhart, Conway. So of yeah, course they're going to continue that on because that's what brought them in. No, absolutely. I would just, I'm, and, and also you have to think that at this point, Roy Thomas is still the editor in chief. Yes. And of course he'd taken that editor position. Well, editor, it wasn't yet an editor in chief. I don't think they ever had an editor in chief until Shooter. Uh, took over in the 70s, in 77. No, they did have, because they did have rotating editor-in-chiefs before that. I don't, oh, know whether, I don't know whether they actually put it in the credits. Right, right, right. Because they did that... have editor-in-chiefs, because I remember I had this book years ago called The X-Men Companion. Okay. Which is like okay. a whole history, like people talking about their working on the X-Men, how they created the characters. And a lot of the people, like uh, Lynn Wein and Marv Wolfman, who were on like Giant Size and stuff, or dealing with it, were the editor-in-chiefs for like a month or two. Right, right. And Archie Goodwin was in there for a little bit as well. But anyway, my, the only reason I'm, I'm bringing it up is so Roy Thomas is still in the editor position that he had taken that he had uh, taken over from Stan. So you have to think that there was also in whatever sort of editorial direction or oversight was going on at the time, you have to believe that there was still very much that character, that Marvel style mighty Marvel personality in whatever was holding it all together. So that is also uh, worth pointing out here. But anyway, you're right. You're right, though. I mean, that's all takes us back to. And that's what's going on here as a segue is just super Marvel-y. Just that is not a caption box you would see in a DC comic uh, at at that time. At this time. Now, speaking of wonky anatomy, look at Thanos' hand right under the word on. Look at those, yes. two, those two fingers. Yes. It's like, what happened? Did you like? Are they gonna? Did you have a they atrophy or something? 
Like, yeah, no. Do you even remove? Like, are you okay, man? Like, you might need to go to a doctor for those. He's he's manifesting a little bit of a xenomorph uh, anatomy going on here yeah, or something. Yeah, kind of looks like. It's like a little claw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they but, look like uh, Nightcrawler's fingers, those two. <laughs> But and and but notice how he's still he's still glowing with energy. Like you you like in a way you look at this. He's glowing with energy, and you have to like hand it to Cap. Cap's still just punching away, even though Thanos is clearly beyond him. He's a god. I'm gonna hit him with this big stick. Maybe that'll well, work. Yeah. No. And and there's actually a point to be made a little later in the issue that I'll I'll, I'll get to. But yeah. So it's it's just very much like that's what's going. What's going on here is Captain Marvel is bravely punching way above his weight class. Way, way, way above. Yeah. Now I'm assuming, by the way, that it's Thanos himself that set the fire. I mean, not intentionally, but I'm assuming it's just the energy and power because there was mm-hmm. no fire the issue before. And then no, all of a sudden, no. the room's on fire. Yeah, well, definitely some time has passed since the – because remember, in the last recap page, we got to see that in the, in between the space since last issue, we've also got the Negaband uh, Katang and Captain Marvel's reappearance on the scene. Because yeah. the last we saw at the end of issue 32, it was still Rick Jones uh, standing before Thanos. Yeah, see, to me, so. I'm actually viewing the recap ending with that big – Panel, multi-panel we were talking about of, th- of Starlin's mm-hmm. in the top third. I view those last three panels as the end of the recap. No, that's fair. You know, either way, it works. You know, it doesn't matter either way, but yeah. But I'm assuming it's just Thanos, the, the energy and power from him is just, he's like, look how awesome I am. Everything is burning around me. Yep. No, and, and one bit, uh, uh, be- um, I will have to give credit to Englehart for more good dialogue here. It's a lovely bit of dialogue here in the second panel on uh, page five where uh, it sounds it like Thanos has two speech balloons. In the first one, he says, the boy had faith in you, Captain Marvel, even when faced with my manifest invincibility. And in a way, like in that speech balloon, it sounds almost like he's complimenting Rick. Like he's saying, I'm impressed. The boy had faith in you. Only then the next panel completely dismantles that. He says, all Terrans are children. Like, bah, he had faith in you. What a loser. And I'm like, oh, wow. Ouch. Sick burn, Thanos. I love it. That's good dialogue writing right there. Yeah, that's like, he's like, you sucker. Yeah, <laughs> all Terrans are such idiots. And he basically just beats the hell mm-hmm. out of Marvel. I mean, Marvel gets like a hidden. This carries over into the top of page six, and it's just, yeah, no, Thanos is just poning him. I mean, in panel two on page six, he just zaps him with the eye bolt, eye beams, eye bolts, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I get confused because I know that they have a specific name when they come out of Darkseid's eyes. Uh, the Omega Beams. Omega Beams. And, you know, Thanos is clearly rocking something. Uh, but he just, and I mean, it just, the way that panel is drawn where he, he lights up Captain Marvel with his eye beams, like, it just looks destructive and pain it looks like he's burning a like he's just burning him to a crisp and then like so clearly he didn't but then he just proceeds to spend the next four panels pummeling like pummeling him into unconsciousness and i'm just like holy free holies this is uh, this is what um i don't know if you ever go i waste a lot of time there and so uh i've absorbed a lot of its terminology into my lexicon you ever go to tvtropes.org a couple times yeah i've been there i know it's i I go there all the time. It is a magnificent website. And this is this right here is what in their terminology they would term a curb stomp battle. <laughs> this is it's one-sided and it is just like Captain Marvel it, the, 
he is getting owned yeah. in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, Thanos is beating up on a five-year-old, basically. Yeah, it's just ugly. It is an ugly beatdown, which is amazing. Like this for 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 a climactic issue, this is an amazing level of ownage. Um, yeah, because the climactic issue should be the hero coming back after the beating and ready to take him on. Instead, it starts with the hero's like, "Okay, you're down." And it's not. And as you pointed, and, and it's amazing because you just said Thanos is beating up on a five year old. It's not even that because look at what Thanos Thanos is ranting throughout the uh, the second uh, row of panels, and he's saying, "I move with the cosmos, held only by thought and never by flesh. I am Thanos, Emperor of the Universe. I am the universe," which jives with the whole Mad God stuff we've been seeing in the last couple of issues. Yeah, and that's what makes so basically when you break it down, it's not that Thanos is is beating up on a five year old. It's that Captain Marvel. A reasonably power, powerful superhero is literally at this point getting beaten up by the whole universe. He is getting beaten up by the universe. That blows my mind. Yeah, he's an ant fighting a person. Yes. Holy macaroni! This is this is epic. Yeah. This is epic, and I just want to I just want to give all credit and and acknowledgement to how unbelievably epic this this really is. Yeah, I can imagine reading this when it first came out, being like, what the hell's oh. going to happen? So, and then we get the spaceship crash from Avengers 125. Yes. And this is a lovely little bit of mundanity uh, in the middle of, the, like I said, this epic beatdown. The universe has pummeled Captain Marvel into unconsciousness. And to credit, to Captain Marvel's credit, the fact that he's getting beaten up by the universe and isn't dead is testament to his power. But then in the next to last panel, uh, the spaceship crashes. And Thanos observes it by kind of leaning out the window like a gossipy uh, housewife. <laughs> He's like, what? Oh. It's like, what are the neighbors doing? Melvin? The neighbors are crashing a spaceship again. <laughs> Actually, I was, I was thinking more like Thanos, like in Thanos in the place of the uh, narrator in uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Yes, yes. He ran to the window. to the, uh, There arose such a clatter. He ran to the window to see what was the matter. Oh, this is just one of my spaceships crashing. Yes, not a sleigh. It is a spaceship. Well, One of the spaceships. Although I guess everyone on there is slayed. Yes, yes. Aha, uh-huh, I see what you did there. Um, but the Avengers never kill. Yeah, right? <laughs> just, so this is basically just a way of cluing us in and calling back to the epic space battle shenanigans of Avengers 125. Because not only is that coming out the same month as this issue, mm-hmm. I looked it up. That came out the same day. Oh, by design or uh, just as it turned out? I always wondered, like, this this long ago, um, I always wonder, like, how, like, those aspects of the production and distribution process, I always kind of wonder, like, how tight and controlled they were. Um, For the month, the cover date, I'm assuming it's by design. Mm-hmm. For the day, I'd have to, actually didn't look, think, I didn't think about it until you just said it to look back at the last few issues of Marvel and Avengers to see if they came out the same, if they were on the schedule, they were coming out the same day mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. But I have to assume the mm-hmm. cover date of it, at least, is by design. Okay, I could see that. You know, you know whether, I mean, now granted, or somewhat by design, I mean, since Marvel was bi-monthly, it really could have come out anywhere in between. And I think Inglehart, yeah, Inglehart was writing Avengers anyway, so which is why. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming, of course, it probably was wherever, I guess, probably wherever Inglehart could have fit in the last three issues, between mm-hmm. 123 mm-hmm. and 125, because either way, it would have been at the same, you know, in between or at the same time as 32 and 33 here, and would have fit, because mm-hmm. there's nothing that ruins anything. No, that's true. That is true. So, kind of ambitious for the time, actually, when you think about oh, it. Oh, this whole storyline's ambitious for the time. 
Oh, I know. When we, yeah, no, that that goes without saying. I mean, spreading out over of a couple different series. Plus, you have like an issue. I almost forgot when you asked about what issues cover this. There's like a technically Iron Man mm-hmm. fifty five. Mm-hmm. Iron Man, yeah, fifty five. And then there's like that issue of Marvel feature, which is the thing in Iron Man. Uh, yeah, yeah, true, true, and against the Blood Brothers. Yeah. So it's all kind of like this whole big spreading. You know, like, it's not like a part one, part two, part three. I mean, really, except for the Captain Marvel issues, but it all is one big tie. It is, it is, it is surely what people talk about, the sort of thing that people mean when they talk about a sprawling epic. Yeah. I love, on page seven, when Thanos transports himself to what he calls other matters of more pressing concern. That is so 70s. It's this sort of just his outline with the with the bands of color around Oh, yeah, it. the third panel. It's, yeah, it's so Saturday morning cartoon, like 1970s Saturday morning cartoon. Like, I was, I'm almost wishing this had been, like, Saturday morning cartoon. Because he would just be then like, you know, you know, I like heard, kind of a thing. I heard that fact. I do like the fact that conveniently he's like, I'm going to put out the fire, too. Yeah, yeah, I will extinct because I can just by willing it. I am so powerful. I rock. <laughs> and it is that is a little okay. That makes things nice and easy. On the other hand, you also could go with yeah, but Thanos does do things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and like mm-hmm. we've always said, Thanos likes to not likes to, but you know, in his brain, he likes to put it likes to uh, sow the seeds of his own defeat. Because if he just let the yeah. fire going, Marvel might have died. True. True. And then Isaac shows up, and in keeping with the theme that we identified earlier of the sick burns, Isaac is just such a dick here. He, like, basically, he just turns up and says, wow, you suck, Captain Marvel. <laughs> you, you just got owned. <laughs> like, you just you defeated easily. <laughs> you have a problem with uh, my, my analysis that you just got your ass kicked, loser? <laughs> Oh, so it's not just to get your ass kicked. You just screwed up. I get yeah. it. Okay, that's fine. That's cool. Although I also like in the set, going back with the time, but you said the coloring is, just in case we forgot, Isaac's going to tell us what Isaac stands for. Yes, yes, I know. I know. I love it. And I I don't mind that at all. I mean, it's it's actually, you always have to remember that this was in the days before regular trade paperback collections and de- and, and uh, decompressed storytelling. So the fact that you that they always assumed that each issue that was getting picked up was potentially the first, the ways in which they integrate the, the recapping and the catching up are sometimes really gorgeously elegant, actually. And I do not have a problem with that at all. Oh, I don't have a problem with it. I'm just amused by it. I like how he calls himself. He says, an integral synaptic anti-anotic computer, even holographic form. It's like, and? Like, how many of you are there? It's like, what, are you like one of a batch of 100? Yeah, I know. Oh, and wait, this did was... Get, this was... he get off the stand of Kmart or something? It's like, mm, let me get that. Oh, you got three left. Awesome, we get that one. Yeah, no, and then I love that Isaac continues to abuse him. He doesn't just say, hey, you got your ass kicked. He's like, so, you know, you, you, you went to all this trouble to switch places and to bring you back, and then you got your ass kicked. Why did you bother? And when, when Captain Marvel responds, because, you know, I, we're not computers, Isaac, <laughs> Isaac's response is, ah, yes, it was an error. It's like, oh, right, you suck, that's why you suck. Oh, my God, like, the burning is just fantastic. I love it. Like, wait, it's not enough that he just got his ass physically kicked. Now Isaac is here just, like, rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah. I love this. He's like, this is stupidly entertaining. He beat you up, didn't he? Yes. Yes, yes he did. 
Yes. And so I mean, why? Really because we're not bad. computers. Yeah. Oh, uh, of course. <laughs> because you suck. Yes. <laughs> you know, you didn't have to be here. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you chose to come here. Where he's yeah. going to beat you up. Yeah. So, not only did you get your ass kicked, you went to get your ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't just have an ass kicking come to you. You went out and looked and like, where is that ass kicking? Ah, there it is. Come to me, ass kicking. Yes, exactly. Oh my god, it, it's uh, it, it, it's just and and just and the way he's just sort of standing there over his like completely beaten up form. And anyway, it's just this is this is really quality stuff. And then um, this is the first I'm hearing, like several times in this ep- in this issue, they use the the phraseology, the terminology that Thanos drained the cosmic cube. Like he didn't just use it to do whatever. He drained it I to they, accomplish this. I think they said something about that before, because I think they said that's why, they even said in previous issues, that's why he left it. Oh, that's, that, I think now that you mention it, I think you're right. I think you're right. But anyway, I Remember, just wanted to point. Sorry, go on. No, I just wanted to point out that that was something I noticed kind of really pointed out forcefully in this issue in a way that it wasn't in previous issues. Oh, it's definitely more pointed out, but yeah, but it was mentioned before, because remember, that's what ha- that's why it was still there for Rick to, quote-unquote, palm. Right, exactly, exactly. And then, you know, Isaac goes on to say, surely you know that only cosmic awareness may counter the cosmic cube. And I'm sorry, I've, I've complained about this before, but cosmic awareness still seems like hand-waving to me. Like, I still don't know what it's, like, why, how, what. Super senses. Yeah, I guess. I, it's just, I don't know. Anyway. I, I said it before, I'll say it again, it's my theory, especially based on what, when we cover, because I already did it once before, but when mm-hmm. we cover Death of Captain Marvel, it's almost like Jim Starlin's rewriting it to make Marvel the first one. Okay. You know, there's, okay. A, there's a line in Death of Captain Marvel where he says, shortly after, others arose to help protect the Earth, kind of implying that he even predates Fantastic Four. Interesting. And Interesting. between that and the cosmic awareness and all that stuff and the way they reacted to his death and everything and his new outlook after he stopped being the warrior, to me, mm-hmm. it was like, forget the century. Captain Marvel was mm-hmm. Marvel Superman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's just, absolutely. it's just after death of Superman, he never came back. He just died. Right. And so that's kind of like... That's the way of giving to me. It's his way of giving him the super senses without giving him super senses. You know? No, that's 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 absolutely fair. It's that's absolutely cosmic, fair. Cosmic awareness. You know, he can see the thing happening on Jupiter. Super can, Superman can see stuff happening on Jupiter, but that's telescopic vision. Completely different. <laughs> be, without devolving into a whole uh, uh, side alley of of whatnot, it does need to be pointed out that uh, Captain Marvel is a much more palatable riff on Superman than Hyperion of the Squadron Supreme slash Sinister. Well, Hyperion's just a dick version. Well, like pretty much 24-7. Yeah. Oh, but Isaac, I like how Isaac, telling him this stuff, Isaac comes off to me like a kind of, your friend, but you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, and he's the DM, and he's like... I have it set up that all you have to do is ask me ask the certain question to the guy, and he'll tell you what you need to know. So, come on, stupid, get to the very simple question. <laughs> you know, like he has a very simple question set up, and it's almost like it's the thing might you guys do every single time, except this time they're not doing it. And he's kind of like it kinda, Isaac comes across like kind of snarky and also 
trying to guide him, if you notice. He's like, you know, if you go this way, maybe that might be, this, this might be better if you said something. Yes, come on. A holographic, a holographic peeing appears on your shoulder and whispers into your ear, perhaps it might be better to go down the left corridor. Let's go down the right. <laughs> That's, as a DM, that is the point at which I kill the party. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the point at which I just curb stomp them because I'm tired of them. Giant boulder crashes on everybody. Yes, exactly. That's, yes, yes, that. Actually, forget so, no, no, even more obvious. Like, forget that. It's like, okay, you guys go down the right path. And a giant anvil lands on you. Yes, it was a trap. <laughs> it says Acme. The holographic being tried to warn you, you morons. <laughs> but, oh my god, it's true. Anyway, I take back what I said earlier. Did not integrate all of the, all of what I had read fully. So now on the next page, page eight, I believe we are uh, seeing the moment of of Thanos hiding behind the brick wall and spying on the Avengers returning from the space war. Yes. So um, that's where that fits in. So I take back my earlier protestations of confusion. Yeah. So that's the Avengers showing up. And apparently that was just a plot to get them off Earth. Mm -hmm. Although I guess he's not worried about anyone else. Although this is a ridiculous like like apparently it was he lured them all off Earth because while they were off Earth, he could shift them out of phase time-wise, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is a weird level of, like, Rube Goldberg machine planning. This is this is insanely complex. <laughs> like, if I'm the universe, I can't imagine I would, that my uh, that my that my ideas to disp- preemptively dispose of my potential opposition would be this redonkulously elaborate. Yeah, and it's one thing for him to do that because, like, okay, now mentor, you know, my dad and brother and Moondragon and anyone else off planet are not here to bother me. But it's like, really, he's worried, worried about the Avengers, and if he's worried about the Avengers, why not the Fantastic Four? Yeah, I know, only the Avengers. It, it, there is a certain amount of behind the green curtain, like, you know, it, it's oftentimes like, you know, when, when, when a person who's a member of the Avengers goes up against the threat in their solo book, the threat they're facing is supposed to be like, it has to be presented as dire enough to be worth the audience's attention. So the solo member of the Avengers has to go up against them. And oftentimes, you know, it's obvious if they would just call in the rest of the Avengers, this would be over in a heartbeat, but they have to come up with some reason why they, they, they have to face this threat alone. And so there's always some bit of dialogue that's like, no, no, this is something I have to do on my own or whatever. And it's just very much a behind the green curtain. Like, yes, we wanted to make this worth 23 pages of your time kind of a deal. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a thing like, well, Steve Englehart's, you know, involved in this, and Steve Englehart writes Avengers, but he didn't have time, neither one of them had time to talk to Jerry Conway, who's writing Fantastic Four, so Fantastic Four. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, I mean, I think that's why, at the time that it happened, Infinity Gauntlet was so interesting, because now all of a sudden, like, all of these other uh, super heroes who by all rights should have been getting engaged whenever Thanos started stomping on Earth, all of a sudden there Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all of these like uh, superheroes that should have theoretically taken notice, all of a sudden they are. And it's like, oh, at last, this is a Thanos story the way a Thanos story should be happening kind of a deal, you know? Yeah, although, to be fair, the last Thanos story before in, you know he comes back to life in the 90s mm-hmm. does, have, does feature Spider-Man and the Thing, so at least it brings them in at the end. 
No, no, no. That's absolutely that's absolutely true. I, I just, I just. But the um, rest of the Fantastic you, Four, like Thanos, who? What? I, right. Exactly. You do. It does beg the question, and and that's and that's fair. And Moon Dragon is up and Adam again, albeit with a cartoonishly uh, cartoonish head bandage. <laughs> Well, Mentor was the guy in charge. He doesn't do bandages. He's like, I don't know. It's sticking all over your head. <laughs> she probably had just, a, she probably looked like the it up. soldier. And he's, she's like, um, I don't need it over my eyes. I know. He's like, oh, oh, right, sure, okay. I work to breathe, please. <laughs> and and wait, what is it? My headache fades, leader. I'm like, I'm all of a sudden, I'm hearing her uh, her voice in uh, Soundwave from Soundwave from the Transformers. Oh, yeah, the one who's very, like, out of all the robots is the most robotic. Yeah. My headache fades, leader. <laughs> oh, God, that's really disturbing. That, that's really awesome if that was her voice. I know, right? Especially considering Daredevil's reaction to her. <laughs> Your care has aided me greatly. <laughs> uh, anyway. So now they discover the other, uh, the original Titans. Never mentioned before now. Yeah, up until this issue, really. Yeah, the 17 Titans left from the 114 who had lived here in freedom. So here, by which he means this population center, as you referenced earlier, not on all of like not that all of Titan had a population of 114 before Thanos' uh, rise to power. Uh, maybe. I mean, they only had two cities, and they are immortals. It's not and, like there's a lot of, you know, I mean, like they can run a city with just few people. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're highly advanced. It's not like they needed, like, 30 people to work the power plant mm-hmm. or to make mm-hmm. sure water worked. I'm sure you had, like, one guy who was responsible for stuff like that. I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense, obviously, but still, it's just, um, now, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I just, I can't help but thinking that Starlin's finally getting advised on all of the details that he, oh, uh, they really didn't fill in before. Forgot. They really didn't fill in before who, the, how many there were before or where were they or mm-hmm. things like that. We just knew that Mentor and Eros were like the last free ones. You know, remember mm-hmm. they were the last ones as far as we knew. They're like the last free fighting army of Titan. You know, it's two of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Now three with Marvel when he joined. So we had no idea really what happened to them. This actually fills in and tells us what happened. But I mean, considering that they're all Eternals. Yeah. And they don't really need to do anything. Like they don't need food. I don't even know if they need sleep or mm-hmm. anything like that. And they're not really going to be reproducing much. Mm-hmm. Because, you know. I don't think Eternals really do. I don't even know if Eternals couldn't reproduce. So I can see them being like, yeah, there's two cities. We got like 50 in one and 60 in the other. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, we get bored. We make these build big cities. We own, we build stuff. We take it down. They're like doozers. It's, it's, it's good old fashioned small town Titan. Yeah. They're like the real Titan. They're like, they're like <laughs> doozers. You know, they're just like, okay, we'll work. We'll build stuff and we'll take it down. We'll build it again. Cause what else we got to do? Exactly. Exactly. And so now remind me because I'm scanning ahead to the bottom of this page. I think it's page nine. Is Mantis the Celestial Madonna at this point? Has she been established as the Celestial Madonna? That's or is that not happened up. yet? Okay, that's coming up. I believe that comes to a head around like Avengers one thirty three, one thirty four, and okay, it's Avengers so one twenty five is the new one. So. Right, so that's within the next year, but we aren't there yet. So okay, no, just because that's that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, wild um, thing for Mantis to be doing here. Well, as of right now, as I think it was Scott Gardner from Back to the Bin said, or somebody from there said, she has all the powers of Steve Englehart's understanding of Asian culture. 
Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. That's, that's, um, or, that's absolutely fair. Or like I, I, like I said before we talked about her, she basically is, um, all of those learn karate, learn Kung Fu, learn Ubu Wabi, Uzu Wabi mm-hmm. ads in Martin comics. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All the, all of those rolled into one. With an added dose of like ancient one Kunlun, you know, uh, cod ancient Asian mysticism thrown in for good measure. Yeah, I mean, he was trying. You know, it is an example of trying to incorporate a culture and type of thing in without actually knowing much more than having seen a kung fu, probably seeing a couple of kung fu movies about it. Um, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I do not want to presume to. I mean, you're right. That is the way it, it, it scans. That said. I'm going to give Engelhart somewhat of something of the benefit of the doubt here for the two, two reasons. Just basically because a I do not want to uh, I don't know him, so I don't know what he knew or didn't know. But it also needs to be pointed out that Mantis was from Vietnam, and Vietnam had been a presence in American media for like the real Vietnam had been a presence in American media for. Uh, quite a few years at this point. So it's not entirely outside the realm of possibility that Engelhardt had had encountered via the news or via reading a newspaper or a magazine or whatever, had encountered some sort of genuine insight into Vietnam as a country and a culture at some point in all the years that America had been involved there. Um, but you're right, in the in the in the act of pumping a Vietnamese person up into a superhero type character that he could use in comic books, they did sort of take a number of shortcuts. That is absolutely obvious. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm not going to. I'm not trying to say anything as far as like, oh, that's racist. Now, right, exactly. If this character yeah. was created in this way and done exactly in this way now. Yeah, right. it would be. But back then, it was basically, that's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, he didn't understand, depending on how much he's new, he obviously didn't fully. So right. Like, I'm going to try and integrate this person from another culture into this book. Which, which, which is, to be... I give to be absolutely fair, right? It's to which, to be fair, is a noble intention, even if the execution is not yeah, exactly... Right. Um, you know, yeah. It's like, well, at least no, somebody's trying. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you know whether or not you you know you you could look back, or even if you looked at the time, if you were a black reader looking at the Black Panther, going, uh, really, I don't really buy what he's how he's presented, whether they did or didn't. At least you know it's like, but at least he's there. Yeah, points points for making the effort, right? You know, Which was not it's, it's obligatory step. at that time. Yeah, he was made, not obligatory at that. He time. He made a step, but yeah, she. So that's kind of like my way of viewing Mantis. It's like you take all of those ads from all the Marvel comics and the all the comics in the seventies, all these, you know, learn this, learn that, and put them together. Yeah, add a little dash of like you said, the ancient one. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and you, you got know? you got Mantis, which is yep. why she can you know move her vibration vibrate enough that she could. She seen. has to- this perfect control of mind and body and can vibrate herself back into sync with the universe, at least temporarily. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is basically a way of telling Captain Marvel that you're on your own. You, you're the, Avengers, the Avengers are not coming to help you this time. And so it's looking exceptionally hopeless. And we, we bring Death back into it, who is once again a beautiful lady. Yeah. Oh, but real quick, I do like how we just have Mantis... And telling mm-hmm. us about the Avengers, but with we don't get to see the Avengers because you know you have to assume the Avengers. She told them probably what's going on. They're probably trying mm-hmm. to figure out some way. 
but it kind of makes it feel a bit more desolate here. I mean, it's also page space, but it also makes it feel more desolate when there's minimal people here. It's not like we go back yeah. to the Avengers trying to get over. Right, just, right, right. Not a factor. No, agreed. Agreed. Now, uh, Thanos is talking himself into perceiving some sort of approval from death. I love, he, I love it because he just he says here, I have dared everything for you, and now I thrill to your silent approbation. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is all in your head, dude. She is giving you Zippo. Well, like he said, you're silent. You know, it's like you're not saying anything. But I'm going to assume I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, he said, your silent approbation, and that tells the tale. Your ardor is a match for mine. It's like, by the fact that you are completely not responding to me, I can tell that you are as in, as in love with me as I am with you. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is, this is, this is downright pathetic. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, come on. They, they, Thanos' maturity, and when it comes to matters like that, intelligence yeah. is low. I mean, right. he's like, Oh, yeah, she said she doesn't want me. And she put the restraining order up, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, she's just playing hard to get. Like, what? What? And here comes Drax. Now, I'm assuming Drax had to be on Earth already. Because if he was off Earth like the Avengers were, then shouldn't he be out of phase? I don't know. And frankly, it's hard for me to focus on that because this four-panel appearance of of the the destroyer here at the bottom of page 10 is unintentionally hilarious like this right here this right here is the seed that would grow into the idiotic comedic drax of the 1990s well that and also actually i'm wondering maybe drex was on earth already and he just knew to go to earth mm-hmm. didn't know where so drax is flying around like this is the fifth time he said that I know. He's been to five or six different cities screaming that and going, Hello? Again, I come for you, Thanos. Thanos? Hello? Thanos. Okay, next city. <laughs> well, because, I mean, originally Thanos' thing was in, this, is in the desert in the southwest. That's where he fought him. So I'm wondering if maybe that's where he was already. Mm-hmm. He went to mm-hmm. where he knew he was last, and he's, yell- he's walking around the base yelling and screaming, Hello? Anyone there? Um, completely unrelated nerd reference, uh, but in the last panel where he says, for I am your destroyer, I keep hearing in my head uh, the, the bit from um, the Power Records. There was a Power Records Captain America. With the Phoenix. Uh, with the Phoenix. The name of your destroyer is Phoenix. And I just keep hearing, you know, same difference. They're both in Arizona. Arizona. You, you've, you've listened to it as well. You know exactly. Like, I, I hear this entire thing in my head. I oh, had, God, it's good stuff. I had three of them, and they're in my head still. That one, I had uh-huh. Spidey with the Man Wolf, okay. and the Incredible Hulk at bay. I had the Incredible Hulk at bay. I also had a Star Trek one uh, with a telepathic alien bat creature thing. And I had uh, the, the Werewolf by Night oh, that's cool. um, one, which was, was, was excellent. That one creeped me out. It was really good stuff. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I love power records when i was a kid man that was a good things i think most of them are actually online i know i think so i think there's a website out there that has them uh, uh up so it's good though for for we get to uh so now we have a big splash panel of something kathuming kathuming yeah Take it uh, drax does something and drax shows up and starts blasting <laughs> blasting and and it's it, it looks it looks impressive but i'm guessing uh uh nothing comes of it 
Now, then Thanos says the lunatic androids thunderous arrival. So the destroyer is now an android? I guess because he's not really living. He's more of a golemy kind of a thing, but I never thought he was like mechanical. But I mean, I guess we could chalk this up to I don't know. Well, I, I guess don't know. ignorance a, on. Yeah, I guess he's using yeah. it's a term for an artificial being. Mm-hmm. Because he is. Okay, and Thanos proceeds to regod himself. He's like, okay, I'm bored of this now. And then he proceeds to, like, I-beam them as a god, but it's great because the two I-beams are going in completely separate directions, which is simultaneously, like, smart and efficient, I suppose, but also, like, really kind of, it's sort of a wonky eyeball kind of a, a, a thing, well, and it's kind of like... Pretty much everyone who has I-beam-type powers, like Dark Side, mm-hmm. Cyclops, mm-hmm. you always just see them together. It's just, like, mm-hmm. it's the white the eyes, and this one's like, no, I can make them go wherever the hell I want well, to. At least the Omega Beams can change direction. Yeah, but they still go together. Exactly. With, 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 with Thanos, like, yeah, independent control. Excellent power. And then he tosses a building at them. Which... Um, it's actually, which is, but it actually needs to be pointed out there the, where he regards himself. It's interesting that they're, like, sort of bridging the gap because prior to this, as Thanos is disembodied head, his god god form, godhead, whatever you want to call it. Prior to this, I was never sure if that was meant to be somewhat metaphorical in nature, if it was meant to be a representation of something more abstract. But with Captain Marvel's dialogue here in panel three of page 11, he just expanded, filling the sky, changed from my size to that, like we are told flat out that this is in fact a physical thing that the characters are seeing the same way we are. Oh, yeah. Well, let's think um, about it. Thanos needs people to see how awesome he is. No, no, that's true. But also, this the way this is laid out with the with the like the perspective of like you're basically looking straight up into the sky and you have the buildings in a sort of framing circle around Thanos's godhead. That's actually a very cool visual that I think is somewhat lessened that should have been a larger panel i think that effect would have been much cooler if it had been a larger panel with less clutter in terms of special effects and dialogue balloons yeah and if it was actually like a whole page splash almost you actually would be fine because the dialogue balloons would be not as bad to me that would have been a much more impressive and useful splash page to have than the one that was on page um 11 before it with drax yeah Katooming him. And yes, then, then Thanos proceeds to launch a building at Drax and Marvel. I mean, it's flying after them. It's mm-hmm. changing direction. I love and, that. And in a way, his taunting, like like Thanos' taunting, is hilarious because he's saying, I am the universe. You think you're going to destroy the universe? Would you destroy the universe, the entire universe, just to get at me? And Drax is kind of like, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Big shot. You must die at all costs, even if even if that means the entire universe gets destroyed. And at this point, you're like, um, destroyer, person who's not named Drax yet, um, destroyer. Think about this a moment. <laughs> you are a little crazy, right? Oh, he does call him. Stop it, Drax. Yeah, he is Drax already. So he is Drax, Drax now. Okay, yeah. okay. You're only feeding his ego, and that's what he wants. But it, it, I like Marvel's. Like, uh, you know what? You're going to be doing this anyway, so just keep uh-huh. it, you just keep doing what you're doing. Uh-huh. Hopefully, I could think of something because you're keeping him busy. Right, and this is fantastic, though. You lunatic! This is absolutely this is absolutely fantastic because Thanos. He's like your friend, or do you believe he plans to approach me on a blind side? And then he actually goes, 
ahahaha with little marks around the ahahaha. This is like like gales of belly laughs from Thanos. Okay, let's just take that for a moment. Gales of belly laughs from Thanos. That's a scary thought. And then gales of belly laughs from Thanos, who is the universe. The universe, like the universe, literally laughs at Captain Marvel in this. In right there, this is fantastic. Do you think they're all laughing at you? Well, yes, Mm -hmm. yes, they all are right now. Yes. Everyone is um, on a distant planet somewhere. People are f- overcome with a sense of cosmic amusement, not cosmic awareness, cosmic amusement. And this is the reason for it. That'd be a cool power to have. So Marvel returns to Marvel to to uh, Mantis and Isaac. And I just want to give a quick shout out. I've done it before, but I, I want to reiterate my admiration. This is early days for the work of Tom Orzachowski, who's already establishing himself as a letter of worth and note um, because of uh, the upper lower that he does Isaac's speech in. Like by the time he takes over the X-Men in the late seventies or has a, has a recognizable style that is unlike other people's. But even here he's, he's starting to distinguish himself. And I think that's worth noting. Plus being able to fill all the stuff in the panels. Yeah, that too. I mean, look at that last that panel. Too. It's half war balloon. It works. They make it work. But uh, And so now we start to get into the resolution of the drama, which is cool because in a way it is – I mean we've sort of seen it before. It's a little bit of a – if you ever uh, read or watched uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods, the whole sort of conceit that uh, gods derive their power from being worshipped. worshipped and without worshippers, a god is in fact powerless. And that to me is kind of – uh, that that's a that that is that is a worthy narrative notion that is put to good use here. Like we start to establish it here, it would have been in better again. It would have been better if it didn't come out of nowhere at the last minute. But this is comic books in the 1970s, so um, the East German judge will allow it. Yeah, but yeah, no, the, the <laughs> things about gods and worshippers. That's yeah, that's something. I mean, this is one of the earliest times I've seen it. But yeah, this isn't. That's not a lot. Like he said, Neil Gaiman used it. They use mm-hmm. it a lot on Supernatural, and they fight old gods. Okay, and I've seen it a couple other places where they use gods like in modern day. Like, well, they're not as powerful because they don't have the worshippers, mm-hmm. or that's why they die out even because no one worships them anymore. And now that they've clued in on this, Thanos takes note. Yeah, he he notices that they've that he notices that they figured it out, and he omega beams them. Yeah, or tries to. <laughs> yes, because the theory, yeah, because the theory here is if no one's worshiping Thanos, then his power has to come from somewhere still. Yes, and they're and assuming you the cube to note too much although i hate this because he blasts them and and by the gleaming galaxies i tripped dropped the cube it's like oh man if you're heightening the tension in your climactic moment through something as random and uncontrolled as a trip it's like i can get like maybe early on you can have like little random occurrences little bits of chaos i suppose or whatever but but by the time you get to the climax of your plot i want every element of the climax to be consequential i want it to come from somewhere and to mean something and if like you should never like i've never as 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 a consumer of story i've never been happy when big climactic moments involve someone tripping and falling or someone forgetting to, that they have a power or forgetting that they had to, to push this button at the right time or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because they didn't have to say he tripped. I mean, Thanos is blasting. All you can see, it looks like he dropped it. Like, you, right, don't, have to say, right. you don't have to say, oh, it's because I tripped. You know, he got blasted mm-hmm. and it fell out of his hand. So, it cheapens and lessens it to me. Yeah, and then you got the next, you know, the next panel, the first word balloon. He blasted the root. Yeah, we know. We just saw it. 
Yeah, I know. I know that this is a bit of the Marvel method at work, like clearly dialogue getting added after the the inking was was done, you know, and you feel like you have to use the dialogue to make things clearer. Or, and so oh, I don't even think yeah. it need to be clear there. That's kind of like, well, we showed you it. Let's also tell you what we showed you. Well, again, like I said earlier, ain't no kill like overkill. And then you get to the third pin on that page, which has n- no dialogue. Right. That's an interesting. That's an interesting moment because that's the point. This is this is Thanos's response. He's going to try and reach the cube. So Thanos's response is just to MC Escher the world up on him. Like you didn't have a better idea than that, Thanos. But I do like the fact that that panel has no word balloon. It's just the effect. Yeah, which is very cool. But it's kind of funny. It's like so those other two panels. Like, did you go to sleep? Like, did you script those two panels before bed at like one and three in the morning, and then you went to bed? He might have. They might have. We don't know what was going. Went to bed like, and forgot about that, and like went to you know went to the next page. We have dialogue free page here, mostly dialogue. Although free. I love those first two panels with the. I mean, yeah, like you said, maybe MC Eshering the world isn't the best idea, but they put it to good effect. No, absolutely, and the fact that they mess with the orientation of the dialogue balloons—that is very cool. They even curve the lines of the script like that is. Uh, next level comic book production in at this time. And I'm very, very much a fan of it. And then, of course, you have the remaining of that page, which is, like you said, dialogueless and captionless. But it's like, is this is the only way that Thanos can do this. Like, he can't kill Captain... Mar- he is the universe. He has infinite universal power. He cannot think... He, can, he has no way to end Captain Marvel instantaneously. He has to engage in this, what, aging like instant aging process or like that still gives Captain Marvel a window of opportunity to karate chop the cube, which uh, uh, makes what happen exactly? I guess it breaks it. Uh, okay. That he couldn't have done that before when he was holding it. I don't know. I, I mean, like literally like no, the, the rest of this page <laughs> and the next page and the next page, like we have three pages left. And I literally do not know. I like I was reading this the first time. Now I'm reading it again. I literally do not know what happens here. Well, I mean, like you said, he destroys the key, breaks the cube. Okay. And then we get the next page, which I love because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's death, like laughing her ass off. Oh, is 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 that that's death laughing? Yeah. Okay, because death now got. Thanos, maybe? I don't know. Like, Thanos is in Death's Eye. Thanos... Uh, I, I'm come to the belief that I think Death is just amused okay. by Thanos. And the fact that she got him to do all this mm-hmm. and then fail uh-huh. wow. might just be funny to her. Like, she yeah. is like, the most cruel, manipulative, mm-hmm. evil ex-boyfriend, girlfriend that you've ever had. The one that just likes to screw with people. Jeez. I mean, like, wow, death is a dick. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, look at these panels. Like, death is... Either death is dancing, or death is laughing so hard, like, she's grabbing her stomach, practically. Yeah, belly la- belly laughs. Earlier we had belly laughs from Thanos, a.k.a. the universe. Now we have bell- uh, belly laughs from death. Because I was reading up a bit on Death, the character, the Marvel one, and it always says, like, Death's motives are unknown. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know why Death does these things. Now, Death, you know, we have these things that Thanos says Death tells him. Like, oh, there's too many people alive. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think Death kind of goes with, like, a bit like a, what was Death says in Sandman. Like, you know, eventually everyone's going to die. Everything's right. going to die. I'm going to get everybody at some point. I think the difference between that death and this death is that death's like, hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. This death is like, I'm bored. What can I do? Yeah. How can I screw with you to entertain myself? Because I'm bored. I got eternity. Now, I'm going to win in the end. Right. So what's the point? Let's have some so, fun. So – and then the final page, I guess, in a very wordy way, attempts to make sense of what has just taken place. And a lot of it kind of, I don't know. It, the one thing that really stood out to me here was given what has happened over not just the last few issues of Captain Marvel, but the entire, as we said before, sprawling epic of the Thanos War, the first panel of the last row on this final page But yet another feels a deep and desperate ache within his brain. His life is purposeless now, yet he still lives and Captain... Oh, no, I'm sorry, not that one. I apologize. That was not what I was talking about. That's setting up issues of the Destroyer later. Right, right. No, what I'm talking about... um, Here we go. Another knows the universe to be the poorer for the loss of a life and knows himself to be the poorer for having caused that loss. So Captain Marvel's actually regretting defeating Thanos. Well, not defeating. Well, I mean... Killing. I... Well, was were you not there for the last, like, however many issues? Did it look like you the, like there was another option? And again, I go with my theory. Mm-hmm. How would Superman react? I, you know, Superman... Now, Greg, I don't know, I'm not saying he wouldn't have done done everything that Marvel done, but would mm-hmm. Superman feel regret for the fact that he, had to, that he caused the death? Yes, he <sighs> would. Even for somebody like Thanos. I guess I don't know. That's always that's always some, been something I've struggled with because given what Thanos was doing and what Thanos meant to do and how Thanos was going about it and all of that, it's like I don't know. I I, I find it very like regretting ending that. That's something I find it very hard to get there from here. I get the sort of like baseline heroes don't kill sort of mentality, and yet I still think that 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 any hero who's actually like mentally or you know present for any of these conflicts, I still find struggle to believe in that regret at that moment. I do. See, I'm not saying he's regretting that he had and stopped Thanos or anything like that. I think he's just regretting mm-hmm. the fact that Thanos went on this path to the point where he, the only course to stop him was to end his life. No, no, and I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. I guess the, the I guess that makes the phrase I'm struggling with um, knows himself to be the poorer for having caused that loss, and I'm like. Thanos did this. You did not do this. You like did the only thing you could, and it's not that doesn't make you poorer. Well, and I still, just I struggle I struggle to to to, to reconcile those. It's still they know? say like he still killed somebody. And yeah. I guess now with this new cosmic awareness and his new outlook, it's not as simple as it was for him before when he killed caused the death. I suppose I'll buy that. And I mean, we do want to at this time. Comics were still it was still the comics code. We still had a moral obligation to the audience to a certain extent. You do not want to ever send the message like, hey, kids, killing is great. I'm just saying within the within the self-contained emotional arc of the narrative, that's not something that sits entirely 
naturally in there for me personally. Your mileage may vary. A little behind-the-scenes peek here. At this point, Brian and I had to stop the recording. He had to go to work, and we ended up not being able to pick it up for another few weeks. So this rest of this recording was done a few weeks later, as you can see by our comments at the beginning of this next part. I could have spent some time maybe editing that out and trying to see if I could make it fit, but I wasn't sure if that would work, and just made more sense just to leave it as it was and just tell you what was going on. So we're going to do a promo here, and then we're going to get back to the rest of the episode. Hey, this is Dion Bai. I'm here with my friend Jay Blake, uh, both of the Podwitz fame. We've got a new um, podcast coming out for you. Do you remember back in the day when having your friends sleep over your house was the highlight of your week where you'd uh, go out with your parents and you rent every movie under the sun and you'd get some Jiffy Pop, uh, you'd max out that rental card and you'd uh, get some Joke Cola and stay up all night long watching more movies than you think you'd be able to binge watch? Uh, I do. Well, we've got a new podcast that you'll love. It can be found at saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com and basically what we're going to be doing here at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers we're going to be profiling new and old that we used to watch when we were little. Yeah, movies from action movies to horror movies to maybe even new movies. Yeah, whatever we think could be a forgotten gem or something that we think could be a cult classic. We'll be seeing if the old movies still stand up, if they're as good as they used to be, if we remember them, and if they warrant a second viewing for people. So come on down and listen to us at Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. That can be found again at saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com. We'll be waiting for you. Later. All right, so um, shall we knock this? Well, not knock this out, but you know what yeah. I mean. Shall, okay. uh, shall we get this uh, get this laid to tape, as it were? Let's get back into it. Get back into it. And speaking of that, by the way, before I forget, because this is part of it. Yeah. I can. Um, so when we took our little pause, <laughs> that didn't last over a week. Um, not at all. Nope. I went and checked my trade of Batman Year One, and Klaus Jansen did not ink it. No, I knew it was a. Uh, it was a uh, David Mazzuchelli all uh, did everything right. Um, there was somebody else listed, but I'm not sure. If, I forget now if he was the colorist or not. Oh uh, well, the colorist, right? That, that he that, might be the colorist, but, but, but it was definitely I not always... Klaus Jansen. Okay, fair enough. I might be thinking of like the. Dare... I'm probably thinking of the Daredevil stuff. Oh, that could be. That could very well be, because he might have stayed on when 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 uh, Frank Miller moved on from uh, penciling it. And I think they brought David Mazzuchelli in and Denny O'Neill was the writer. Klaus Jansen may have stuck around as the anchor. That would make sense. So anyway, so we're back to Captain Marvel. The final page of issue 33 and really the final page of Thanos War, I believe. Yes, this is. This is it. If you're going by the the big. (laughs) The big final wrap up. Sorry about that. Yes, the big final wrap up of Thanos War. He has been. I don't know. "Quote unquote," absorbed into Death's eyeball, maybe something. Well, we know what happened to him technically because we did read that, uh, and we did do that Thanos annual way back, like what episode twelve? Uh, okay, yes, yes. The uh, a yes. Thanos Carol. Yeah, Thanos Carol. Right, exactly. I True forget dad. what episode. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Maybe fourteen. But yeah, so I mean, what actually did happen to him retroactively was that he basically reformed as himself, but in the middle of space. Okay. And it was only because the Blood Brothers found him that he was alive. 
that he was alive. Okay, cool. But, but that's all. That is all revelations yet to come. As it stands right yeah, now, as it Thanos' first attempt to take over the universe has been defeated by Captain Marvel um, and the Avengers. I mean, but mostly Captain Marvel and the Avengers. But you know, they were there, primarily sort of primarily Captain Marvel. <laughs> I mean, Drax helped more than the Avengers did. Uh, well, Drax was a Drax was a useful distraction. Yeah, he helped more. I didn't say he helped a lot, but in compare, <laughs> you gotta remember, you gotta do these things in comparison. You know, that, how much did Drax true. actually help? Not really. Not, did Drax re- help more participate more than the Avengers? Yeah. Yes, yes, he participated. He gets a participation trophy. Yes, you help. He's Ralph Wiggum's. <laughs> I helped defeat Thanos. <laughs> Oh my god, now I'm picturing that voice coming out of Drax's face. Oh, dearie me. That would be the perfect voice for the, the uh, 90s dumb Drax, the one who likes Alf. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, the one in the Infinity Watch. Yeah. Oh, that would be brilliant. See, and my only real exposure to that Drax is at the start of his uh, own self-titled miniseries that kicked off Annihilation. Um, oh, yes, that's right, because he was still that way. He was still that way at the beginning, and then he became modern-day Drax by, I don't know what, drinking engine fuel or some and, and cocooning or some. He act. died and came back. I, Drax is listening to the Tiny Pops, like at the beginning. Oh, God, now I'm hearing that. Ah, <laughs> uh, fantastic. Ah, uh, that's brilliant. Now we have the, the denouement, and can we just say, God bless, I, God bless uh, uh, Sarlin. Again, we have commented repeatedly over the course of analyzing this Thanos War storyline. Um, we've commented repeatedly on how ambitious and unusually sophisticated Sarlin's storytelling was pretty much throughout. And the fact that he actually, it's one page, but the fact that he actually gives a denouement to a comic book story is kind of impressive. Just taking a moment to appreciate that. Yeah, and going through like you like you had said a few minutes ago, well before. <laughs> yeah. about, um yes, he had to die. Mm-hmm. You know, even even though you had a little bit of an issue with Captain Marvel's upset being upset by his death, but the fact is there's more like sorrow in this and the person who was basically trying to rule everything mm-hmm. than in the death of anyone else for the most part who tries to, you know, quote unquote conquer the world. Mhm. No, no, I, I, I hear you, and I, I guess I can kind of, you know, upon further reflection, uh, I suppose I can get on board with uh, Marvel thinking, Captain Marvel, as opposed to the company, uh, Captain Marvel thinking that, uh, being sad that Thanos forced the situation to be this way, that the only recourse left to them was this, and that that is regrettable, and that fills him with sadness, and I can totally get on board with that. The only real bit that I guess I, I take issue with in this denouement is uh, the line in the middle panel of the page uh, where he says the universe to be the poor for the loss of a life. And I'm thinking to myself, universe ain't poor for the loss of Thanos's life. The universe is better yeah. for the loss of Thanos's life. So I don't know. I, I think I know what Starlin is generally gesturing at in a metaphysical way, but uh, I don't know if he stuck the landing there, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, I can see that a little bit. I mean, I, I think it's more of just, in general, a loss of a life makes the universe mm-hmm. poorer. You know, mm-hmm. when you get the specifics, <laughs> different story. But in general, right. yes, you know, it's sadder because a life had to be ended. Yeah. And, and this is perhaps, and, and to return to a recurring theme that we've, that we've hit upon, um, 
this is perhaps the best illustration yet of what exactly cosmic awareness is. I've always thought, you know, as ill-defined it has, as it has kind of been on the comic page, I've always gotten the sense that for Starlin, the cosmic awareness trope was definitely a gesture towards more life-affirming, almost Buddhist uh, sort of love your enemy and embrace the universe sort of uh, philosophy. Um, and like I said, that was not always made as clear as it could be on the page. But perhaps this uh, last page, this denouement here, is, uh, and that sorrow that he feels for the loss of any life is perhaps the best illustration of the cosmic awareness concept that we've seen yet. Agreed. And again, it still works with my whole theory about it, which I likely since we're done with Captain Marvel really until the death for the most part, <laughs> it won't be brought up until again. It really echoes he the sentiments of Silver Age Superman. Okay, Silver Bronze yeah. Age Superman. You know, he's not going to kill anybody. It makes him see. You know, like looking back at it, looking back afterwards, it's like, yeah, he's like he's trying to write him as like a Marvel version of Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, he will mm-hmm. kill, and he doesn't feel the need to destroy himself when he does, mm-hmm. like they do in the was it uh, for the what, whatever happened to Man of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he will do it still. But it will fill him with an intense regret. Mm-hmm. Uh, just real quick, I do like this other concept here because given, you know, we, we've joked about it at times and we've attempted to wrap our minds around it seriously at times. The fact of the matter is for the last few issues of this storyline, Thanos has, in essence, been the universe. Uh, he wasn't doing that bang up a job of it, no, admittedly. No, 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 But, no. Um, you know, he he didn't have time. I think given 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 the fight that he the fights that he had to wage uh, upon his taking up of the mantle of pan universal exist- existential power, I don't think he really had the time to settle into the role of god and universal embodiment. But that said, technically he was the universe. So this bit at the top of the last page where uh, Captain Marvel sort of uh, contemplates. Uh, that the universe has been cleansed of Thanos, almost like you know he's been filtered out of the universe's blood, and hit, you know Thanos's dark conception of the universe died with him. So the universe is now back to its normal, positive, generally good way that it was supposed to be. So the heroes really have saved the day. But I think that is a lovely sort of acknowledgement. They didn't just hand wave. Oh, we had this thing, and now it has gone away. At least he's trying to put some closure on how truly epic and universal and massive the concepts he was playing with in this storyline were and again i just as a writer complete kudos to jim starlin for his ambition and for how close imperfections acknowledged how close he came to realizing that those insane ambitions at this early stage of the bronze age yeah i mean he so that is he pretty much had would have won if it wasn't for himself i mean all he had to do was wrap up the Cosmic Cube, stick it somewhere far away, and, mm-hmm. um, well, one of two things. Either A, just killed them all, so was done with mm-hmm. it, or B, just not bothered with them. Wrap up mm-hmm. the Cosmic Cube and go away. You're the universe. You don't have to deal with these little insects on Earth. Yeah, if he'd been doing his job properly, the only way that they could have properly defeated him would have been to destroy the entire universe, which is not something they're going to do. Yeah. Or the cube, but if he does his job properly and does something about the getting, moving the cube to a safe location, that's it. Now, here's my last question uh, regarding this, the page-to-page specifics of this book. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the extent at this point, but I'm going to assume, 
uh, given what I know, that at this point they're still using that much written about the Marvel method. Starlin presents the plot, does up the art, and then Engelhardt provides the words after the art is completed. Okay. And I'm looking at the, at the, at the way this last page is laid out. And given the second panel where Captain Marvel uh, appears to be speaking to Mantis in a one-on-one way, and the next-to-last panel of art where he again is looking at Mantis and Mantis's sort of central uh, with the Avengers behind her, yeah. placement in the uh, in the larger panel in the middle of the page. My point is: Do you think Starlin was envisioning a sort of concluding dialogue specifically centered on Captain Marvel and Mantis and whatever cosmic uh, sort of sensibilities that they may share and that Engelhart either misunderstood or called a conscious audible one or the other and turned it all into narration that has little to do with these two characters specifically leaving the art and the script on this last page something of a not great fit very possible because i mean yeah if you look at it that way it could look like people talking you know mm-hmm. like you, you would make sense to have word balloons right you know i could just really envision like maybe mantis having some really meaningful little short soliloquy in that middle panel where she really puts an exclamation point on the existential sort of sense of what they've all just lived through and that's why the avengers and captain marvel and drax are sort of just sort of standing around looking solemn as they listen to her words but she's as it turns out she's not speaking there so the only thing that would put a problem with that is that the one who'd be more likely to want to give mantis that solo spot right would be inglehart that is a fair point that is a fair point and does uh poke a poke a reasonable hole in my in my theorizing i just i just get the sense that perhaps given the artwork i'm looking at that perhaps this page didn't end up the way it w- was initially meant to. Now, it's possible, of course, that it was intended to be that initially, and perhaps it wasn't just an Inglehart thing. Maybe it was the two of them going, you know, this might be a better idea. It's like, uh, this is going to be way too clunky to fit it in this way. I could see that. That might be, that would be fair. I can imagine, you know, they would, Engelhart would call Stalin and say, hey, here's the way I want to go. Here's what I do. I can't imagine, you know, given that this is their first issue working together, I think. I, I would imagine that that would not be a ridiculous to to imagine that they would still be talking to each other, unlike, say, Stan and Jack towards the ends of their uh, time and together in the 60s, that they would be, like, on speaking terms, so able to discuss such choices with each other. Eh, I'm just speculating. Yeah, you of know, course. And also considering when this was done and how old these guys were, as opposed to Stan and Jack, who were yeah. grown-ups homes and children and things like that it's very possible that this work was all done in one of their apartments hang well probably anyway hanging out so it could have been drawn that way and then you know just the two of them bsing back and forth going you know this might be a better idea it's like i don't know if to change the artwork we still have room for that there that's fair that's fair and he might have redrawn a couple of pants panels like relayed out a couple of panels without changing the essential content of it he might have relayed out uh some of this stuff to sort of create space for these uh narration blocks so that makes sense now before we get to the end there of course is and it's kind of cool because he's only on here for one more issue but yet starlin's leaving seeds which is nice like as opposed to just doing his story and wrapping a hundred percent of everything up he's Mm -hmm. done a story but left some stuff for new writers because you Mm -hmm. have Mm drax leaving 
going. I had, yeah. you know, basically the whole thing of Jax had one purpose, and now that's gone, and Captain Marvel right. caused it. Right. <laughs> so he's setting up seeds so of the fact that he's, you know, his, his story is problem. Yeah, his story is over, and we won't. See, will we see him in the Warlock run? Drax? Drax, or does no. he not come back until he... So he doesn't come back, like, basically until the Infinity War. Uh, well, Infinity well, gone. Um, well, he is a fixture in the Captain Marvel series. He does come okay. back and forth. And from okay. what I remember seeing from covers, he... This panel of leaving seeds to use Drax um, is used. Mm-hmm. Of Drax blaming Captain Marvel for the fact that now his life is meaningless. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I'm actually, but I mean, <laughs> as opposed, would he blame himself? Like, if he had accomplished his goal, like by himself, would he then blame himself for his life being meaningless? That's wow. Well, we'll get. Don't yeah. know, but then again, what happened? You know, I mean, let's be fair. Drax is a pretty much psychotic. Yeah, one note. Yeah. yeah. So, God knows what would happen if he killed him too. I also have to point out, looking at the coming up for the next issue. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a little unintentionally amusing to me because it's, you know, it's mentioning Nitro. Mm-hmm. And my only exposure to Nitro prior to this, he was the baddie, the only Hostess Snack Cakes ad of those classic 1970s Hostess Snack Cake ads that featured Captain Marvel. Nitro was the villain in it <laughs> that he overcame with the power of Hostess Snack Cakes. So I'm like, oh, wow, no, he was a real actual Captain Marvel villain and not something that whoever wrote that hostess ad made up for that hostess ad. How very unintentionally amusing to me to get that the wrong way around. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we will get to that issue eventually. Oh, we will. Okay. Yes, because that is Starlin's last issue on this series. We're going to kind of do it next. We're going to wait a while. Okay. Because that issue leads up to one other issue of Captain Marvel. The big one. Which the, the death of? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that's where it's all set up. Okay. Interesting. I look forward to it. And also, uh, sort of like sneaking a peek, I see that a, a mentor is seen on the first page of the, that issue. So it does still tie in in, a, in at least a... A little bit, yeah. Uh, in at least a tangential way to the Thanos War storyline. So it's kind of a coda, I suppose, as well. Yeah. But yeah, but that one goes, I mean... Obviously, there's a big stretch in between that issue and the mm-hmm. death issue, but basically, that's the one that leads right into. That's the one that causes it. Mm-hmm. That's when the uh, he gets the cancer. Okay, interesting. So when we do, when we do the death, I figured we would do that issue and then the death, since it just makes sense. Okay, I'm I am for this. I am for this plan of action, and I will be there as as your resident Captain Marvel commentator. And that's it for Captain Marvel, and that's it for the Thanos War. Yes, we are done. It took us a while, but we but we got through it, and hell, I even enjoyed it. So there, even better. Not always the case when doing these uh, interestingly historic Bronze Age type stories. So a pleasing a pleasing little plus there. Yeah, sometimes you can look at them and go, ugh. <laughs> I respect you. I recognize your place in history, but I never want to read you again. And sometimes you're surprised. Yeah. Hell, I was surprised. Uh, if you saw, I put up an episode a few uh, the other day. I don't know if you saw. Uh, it from the point of this, from the point of this uh, uh, recording the other day, not from the point of you posting this recording. No, <laughs> from the point of uh, where we are right now. Yes. Yeah, that was a Human Torch issue from the forties. Okay. Holy crap! I was impressed. Oh, really? 
because not a lot of Golden Age stuff that has really resonated with me. So I'm pleased to hear that. It felt more like a Silver Age story than a Golden Age story. It's mm-hmm. cool. one whole issue. Like, it's three parts, but it's one whole story with the Human Torch and the Submariner fighting each other. Oh, very famous. Got referenced in uh, uh, Alex Ross's uh, Marvels. Yeah, or that's when it floods New York. And, yeah, interesting. Now, now, do we know who was responsible, creator-wise, for that story? Was it uh, Burgos and or Bill Everett? Uh, yes. Both of them, or one or the other? It's definitely Burgos. Depending on which okay. source you look at, Everett was either the inker or the co-writer-plotter. Co-writer, co-write, co-cut, pull-penciler. Okay. It's until I know enough about their two different styles, I just went with, yeah, it was the two of them. Okay, very cool. Very, very because cool. It's very I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, it's on Marvel Unlimited. It's uh, issue, it's the second issue five, because there were two issue fives to the Human Torch, because they screwed okay. up. So this is, <laughs> as I call it, this is 5B. But, I mean, there's, so it's one whole story, mm-hmm. and they have continuity. Wow. I mean, in the beginning of the story, the Torch is meeting up, having say, having a dinner to say farewell to a friend of his who's going to cover the war in Europe, because it's still before, you know, Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. The original Angel, Toro's there, the original Angel's there, mm-hmm. um, the Patriot is there. Later on in the story, the Patriot goes to the President, because like, there's things going on that people don't believe the Torch, and the Patriot like, goes to the President and tells him, no, the Torch is right. Uh, mm-hmm. At some point in the story, when Namor's trying to flood the world, the Torch stops in Africa to visit the original Kazar, who basically was just Tarzan, and wow, to, yeah, to warn yeah, yeah. him. And there's actually a little subplot of him and the animals there making an ark to survive this flood that's coming. Wow. And the story ends with, yeah, okay, you know, of course it ended with, you know, okay, Namor's a good guy again. Big surprise. Yeah. You know, ish. ish. But Toro is missing, and now they have to find him. Wow. I was like, I'm going to check this out. I'm like, and I was like, I was actually in, it, I mean, there's of course the some of the golden age bizarreness. Like at one point there's a glacier coming down to destroy from the Arctic, coming down to destroy Moscow and oh, the Russian, you know, and the Russians like blow up, you know, use bombs and blow up enough of it that it splits off into three. And of course one of them splits off and goes down towards America. Cause you know, <laughs> that's close enough, right? <laughs> because comics yeah, because that's all you gotta say bad geography yeah but you know so like there's like a couple of things you're like really or like the human torch is hypnotized and then he stops being hypnotized or mind control but he stops because he sees the american flag well yeah duh doesn't that happen to you <laughs> so like of course there's some things like that but otherwise you're like damn stuff's happening plus holy crap the death toll in this thing <laughs> i mean wow. namor and the torch killed so many people oh my god Ambitious, a little bit of a little bit of a early uh, end of Man of Steel kind of stuff, huh? <laughs> Basically, but yeah, so that's because that's one I did because there's a, that's an early death appearance, and actually death does have some you know do some stuff besides just standing there. Because that's cool. it. I was looking up early death stuff. Ah, that would explain it. But yeah, so I would check it out. I, I would mm-hmm. enjoyed it. All podcasts love feedback, and this one is no exception. How do you send feedback? Well. We have many ways. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. You just find it by going to search box and typing in Adam Warlock or Thanos. We're one of the first things that usually pop up. Go to our Tumblr page. Follow us there. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com Follow us on Twitter. At AdamThanosPod. Talk to us. We love talking about comics on there. And of course, you can send an email to ResurrectionsPodcast at Yahoo.com 
right now. I usually like to thank the people that uh, retweeted or liked the last episode when I put it on social media. That last episode was episode 67, uh, Captain Deadpool, in which we covered the final episode of the Deadpool vs. Thanos miniseries. Now, not as many people responded this time, and I would love to have more next, but honestly, I am just thankful for anybody who does this. So I'm def- especially more thankful for the times when we only have one or two people doing it, because I really appreciate the ones who did. So on Twitter, that episode is retweeted by Cheap Comic Websites. On Facebook, it was liked by Roger Castle III and Joe Sedano. Thank you all. And now I'm going to continue what I've been doing the last several episodes, um, thanking a couple more of the people who are following our blog on Tumblr. So thank you, and my apologies if I screw up the name, but Tumblr names are weird. So thank you to K.O. Raisin, Omega-Beam-Survivor, Red Jason Peter-Blog, 80 Times the Triangle, and Living Kayfabe. Also, if you'd like to hear more from me, go to my other podcast feed. Pop Culture Palace Presents. Find it on iTunes. I'll have a link in the show notes. You can also go to our website, thepopculturepalace.com. The Pop Culture Palace feed, in case you didn't know, is basically a collection of different shows that I do. Every week is a different episode. The most recent week, we put up the zero episode of a new show, Grown Ass Geeks, which will be hosted by myself and Paul Showens of Geek Pod and the Fight Podcast fame. This will hopefully be our worst episode ever because we had a lot of technical issues with it. It's almost a how-to not to do a podcast. So please give it a check it out. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Okay, so now we're up to the friends and enemies part. So in case you've forgotten, this is where we take a look at the books that... Sorry, we take a look at the titles that we have covered on the show before, and we say where they are at this point, which is July 1974... Sorry, May 1974. July cover date, though? Or May cover date, and probably means coming out in February or March. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm confusing the issue, are You know what? I have, yeah. I have both written down, and I'm sure one is a mistake. And I uh, looks like it looks like it would be July cover date because issue 34 is September. And if Captain Marvel was going by monthly at this point, then it would be July cover date, meaning that we would be talking about yeah, roughly May 1974. Yeah, I'm looking at the issue. Yeah, you're right, Ju- July. So May was my mistake. July. Okay. So Fair enough. July the ones at a July 74 cover date. Gotcha. Confused yet? Good. Uh, good, good. Then our job, our work here is done. Ah. Happy to work with you there, Al. Uh, time to good go job. home. Good job. Okay, so we have The Avengers, number 125, by Steve Englehart, John Buscema, and Dave Cockrum. The Power mm-hmm. of Babel. And we already covered that one in episode 51. That's the one where um, Thanos has his fleet attacking Earth. And the Avengers go to fight it. All right. Uh, we also have Daredevil, number 111, written by Steve Gerber, with uh, pencils by Bob Brown, inks by Jim Mooney. Uh, it's called Sword of the Samurai, in which Daredevil goes to Shanna the She-Devil with his newfound knowledge of the Black Spectre. Uh, and the plot continues to thicken when another surprise agent of the Mandrill 
makes an appearance <laughs> on the scene. And if you want to know more about this issue, you can check out the I'm the Gun podcast, the Shanna Showcase uh, episode from September 9th, 2015, where they cover this issue in some detail. The Mandra's the big monkey-looking guy. He looks like a baboon or something, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got the colorful face, and he is like he is a super genius. And I think, if I remember correctly, he has some 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 pheromone or mind control, sort of biological mind control type abilities, which made for some fun writing when Bendis uh, put him up against Spider Woman. Uh, a little later on in the 2000s, uh, there was some fun oh, wow. to be had with their uh, with their with their dueling. I shall make you do what I want with the power of my sexiness, kind of uh, dealio. <laughs> yeah, good good stuff. <laughs> he has a great visual, that big colorful nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, we got Fantastic Four 148, uh, written by Jerry Conway, pencils by Rich Buckler, inks Joe Sinnott. War mm-hmm. on the 36th floor. The Fantastic Four are attacked by the Frightful Four, with Thundra unexpectedly helping out. And of course, like all of Fantastic Four issues, if you want to hear more, go listen to Fantastic Cast. Yeah, good stuff there. Uh, we also have The Incredible Hulk, number 177, uh, also written by Jerry Conway. Uh, pencils and inks by Herb Trimpey and Jack Abel, respectively. The great early Hulk team, like the great Hulk art, te- art teams, in my uh, opinion, were uh, Herb Trimpey in the early 70s and uh, Sal Buscema in the late 70s. Those are the iconic yeah. Hulks of my youth. So this was a part of that. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say about the issue titled Peril of the Plural Planet, because we already covered it on this podcast. You did anyway, Al, Me and John. back in uh, episode number 54. Yes, these were the, that was part of the uh, Death of Adam Warlock um, Counter Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. A very subtle death. <laughs> <laughs> if subtle to mean smacking somebody in the face of a shovel. Hey, there are worse. No, there are really aren't many worse ways to go. So I, I take I I withdraw my prior comment. Okay, we have Marvel Premiere number sixteen, uh, written by Roy Thomas and Len Wein, penciled by Larry Hama. Mm. That's right. He was a penciler originally. Yeah, young Larry Hammer. Better known as the writer of G.I. Joe. And the Nam. Yeah, and the creator of most, I mean, well, not the characters, but the creator of the personalities of most of the Joe characters. True. He was, he was, um, Hasbro worked with uh, Larry Hammer as an employee of Marvel. So Marvel was integral to the uh, genesis of the G.I. Joe, the greatest American hero. Yes. In fact, I think uh, the little things on the back. I'm sorry. Sorry, go on. Real American hero, uh, 80s line of G.I. Joe, not to be confused with the earlier G.I. Joe toy lines. Yes. In fact, I believe it was Larry Hama who did wrote um, on the back of the Joe figures, if you remember that like little personal file on the character. He wrote mm-hmm. those. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember hearing that. And then, of course, much later on, he would also go on to an iconic uh, run on Wolverine in the 90s. Yes, he did that for a long time. So he's... A very excellent and legendary and storied career, and here he is at the at the very get go penciling on Marvel premiere yeah. and inked by Dick Giordano. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh. I can't say his name. Dick Dick Giordano. Dick Giordano. Him too. Yeah, yeah. They are uh, taking a break from his uh, future exclusive with DC. It seems. Yeah, as not just a creator, but also one of the uh, high editors. Yeah, I forget what he was as the editor in chief. I know Paul Levitz is publisher, but. I know Dick Giordano was really high up there. 
I think he was editor in chief for a while, but yeah, he was always. I was never sure exactly like how uh, DC's editorial structure kind of laid out, really. But I know, yeah, G- G- Giordano was part of that, especially in the '80s, around the time of uh, the crisis. So, yeah, because if you pick up pretty much most '80s DC books, you'll have, um, especially from like '83, '82, '83, uh, it's like '88, '89. Mm-hmm. On the inside cover, for most of them, there'll be the Meanwhile column. That he did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where he cool. talked about, like, whatever was going on. So anyway, this is Iron Fist. This is actually the, uh-huh. actually the second appearance of Iron Fist. Danny recalls more of his years of trading in Kunlun, including a shocking revelation, as he seeks revenge in New York City. Cool. So yeah, this is, the, yeah, this is Iron Fist number two, technically. Technically, yeah, the second appearance. We also have Marvel's Greatest Comics, number 50, which was a reprint of Fantastic Four, number 67, by Stan and Jack, uh, and inks by Joe Sinnott. That was When Opens the Cocoon. Early, uh, was that the first or second issue of the Him trilogy uh, of that? Uh, well, that was, I think it was only two issues, I thought. Only, oh, it was only two? I thought it was, well, I always count like the, the, the third one with the time war with Pluto and Sif and all that stuff. I always consider that sort of part of it, even though I don't think Adam Warlock is technically involved in that, is he? Uh, well, that well, he is involved in that, but that was like four issues of Thor like three years later. So Oh, right. Okay, I'm sorry. I See, I'm getting very confused here. Anyway, yeah, so this was uh, the, the genesis of Adam Warlock, so very important to us. And you can tell it's very important to us in this storyline because it was covered in episode two of this very podcast. Yeah, so yeah, what it was, it was the two issues of FF, and then he went away and like three or four years later came back in technically four issues of Thor, but like the <laughs> first two of them, it was like a one-page cameo of his cocoon. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't really... Uh, he, he, they, were, they were learning how to tease stuff then. Yeah, it was still... But it was that war with Pluto and everything. Yeah, okay, that, make, that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me there. Yeah. And finally, we have Thor, number 225, written by Jerry Conway, art by John Buscema, and Joe Sinnott. Joe Sinnott was on everything this month. Man knew how to work. Man knew how to work on a timeline. Yep. On a deadline. Uh, the coming of the Fire Lord. A brief moment's respite is all Thor can enjoy before the Destroyer stirs again. But mm. on this day, that gleaming engine of destruction will be the least of his worries. For on this day comes Fire Lord. Oh. Whoever... Now, I copy as much of these as I could from, like, the the little solicits, like the bullpen bulletins or whatever that Marvel put out back then. Gotcha. Gotcha. Whoever wrote Thor's back then always had fun, because it's always written, like, Asgard speak. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. How shall Thor fight, smite these foul enemies of Asgard? You know. Yeah, it's like like Spider-Man's like, you know, look out, Spidey, here comes the shocker. And this Thor yeah, you, like, can, you can hear Stan Lee's voice there, you know, look out, Spidey. <laughs> and this one's like, you know, you have to take a minute to read. I have to take a minute to look at this and go, okay, wait, how do I say this? <laughs> hey, good on them. That's, that, that, that's, that's good stuff right there. You know what I'm saying? Real, real character to it. And I like that. So that's the Marvel. St- that's the stuff that was out this month. Ladies and gentlemen. The Beatles! Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show 
is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the archaeologist in the 1960s, from everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, we'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGpod.com and cordindustries.blogspot.com. And uh, that, I think, just about does it for this uh, episode, correct? Yes, it does. Well, as always, it has been fun. Yes, and don't worry, Brian, we'll be back soon enough. Yes, yes, to uh, talk more uh, Marvel and uh, fighting Cree goodness. Yep. So, uh, Brian, you have anything you want to plug? I don't know, do you? Um, no, not at this time. This is pretty much, this is this is my gig right now, so please have me back soon. Please okay. let me do something. I'll think uh, about it. <laughs> thank you very much, sir, but thank you for having me. Always a good time. And thank you for being ha- being had. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for being had. <laughs> okay, that's a better way of looking at it. Thank you. Thank you. I try. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys. Uh, we'll see you over later. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. We call in television. We call that production value. I didn't say it was good production value. In podcasting, we call that an outtake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only if you take it out. If you leave it in, then it's I don't know what it is. An intake or a take? <laughs> an intake. It's it's value added. Damn it. I feel like Robin from uh, Young Justice. I know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you just be whelmed? <laughs>